Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Welcome in listeners to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in. We're always talking everything college hoops and a couple other odds and ends. Thanks to Blog Talk Radio for powering us in and out and getting us in your earbuds and speakers. And thanks to Bell Jar bringing us in and bringing us out with that intro music. And thanks to you guys out there for carving out some time. You could have been anywhere else on the dial. You chose to be here with us, Mike and Gus, and we appreciate that. Uh, well, Mike told you about that crazy uncle that you just might have in your family that maybe is a little bit underrated, underappreciated, and maybe needs a little closer look, Roy Williams. And if you're getting ready for that quasi-family reunion this weekend as the summer comes to a close and school seasons start, fall seasons get underway, sports seasons then don't be afraid to give that odd uncle, aunt, or family member that little extra bit of attention after listening to that podcast from Mike and him highlighting Roy Williams as the crazy uncle. What we want to do on this podcast is is, is also bring up something a little odd, a little unique, and a little out of character. And it just goes with a stat. And the stat line that hasn't been hit in about 25 years in all of college hoops. Just to put that in perspective, that's about as old as Zach Lofton, one of our favorites from New Mexico State, go Aggies, is old, and he has signed a contract with the Detroit Pistons. Congratulations to Zach Lofton. And and also Kendrick Williams, he's one of the older people that was in this particular draft class. He went undrafted and balled out in summer league, signed a two-way contract as well. As old as those guys are that we followed last season for New Mexico State and for TCU, both making the tournament, When they were born, this stat line was last hit. So also, we were treated to a number of other things that we really got spoiled the the last couple of years as college basketball fans. I mean, we were treated to Trey Young. Trey Young, last season, led the nation in points and assists. That had never been done ever before in our sport. Two seasons back, we we had the classic, epic, arguably best championship game in, in our sports history. As great as we've ever seen. With Nova and UNC, Page's shot followed by Jenkins' shot. I mean, the stuff is made a legend. Then let's not forget the the under-the-radar stuff that we've seen the last couple of years. It's just special stuff. Stuff that we just, you know, we feel like we take for granted, but then we go back and look on it and we realize how special it is. That Yale-Baylor game where the post-game conference and the synopsis of a definition of what is being out-rebounded, classic. Wichita State Marshall, Coach D'Antoni, doing his thing against Wichita State and Coach Marshall and John Elmore coming on the scene. and Unbelievable job. St. John's beat both Duke and Nova last season in the course of, like, one week. And then, of course, we had the 116 upset that Mike Randall had called for last season. He just called for the wrong 116 upset. UVA fell to UMBC and Lions. One of the lost nuggets of nectar that we crave occurred out west, sometimes under the radar. We talk about basketball and narcolepsy. And one of those games, one of those moments, one of those underrated college basketball items that can be, you know, procured at any moment, any night during the season, happened thanks to the Wolfpack. And that game was that comeback game against New Mexico in the pit, and that put them kind of on the national college basketball radar, sports center, etc. Happened at the pit. It was unbelievable. And that really set the scene for what this podcast is really about. And this is my ode to Cody Martin. 
Cody Martin is that player who has hit the stat line that nobody has hit in the last 25 years. Cody Martin, swingman, do everything, point guard, power forward, wing player for the Wolfpack, transfer from NC State, averaged 14 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, 1.5 blocks, 1.5 steals, and he shot it 50% from the field. Oh, and by the way, he was the Mountain West Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Throw that in for kicks, right? And let's also add in the fact that he was asked to play, quote-unquote, out of position due to injury and roster limitations that Nevada has fell suspect to and now has solved this season with their top 10 preseason ranking uh, in the past seasons because of all of the scholarships that were held out by transfer. So we throw the stat line in that nobody in college hoops has hit in 25 years of 14 points, six boards, four assists, one and a half blocks, one and a half steals, and 50% from the field. But get this. After trusted point guard Lindsey Drew was lost to an Achilles injury, and we hope that Lindsey is on the mend, and he's still debating on whether to redshirt this particular season due to the injury and its recovery phase, which is anywhere from nine months to over a year. But during the 10-game span where Cody Martin was asked to play out of position for the Wolfpack and take over point guard duties, a, a shared a shared assignment, of course, but it was relied on Cody to do most of the ball handling and the offensive initiation. Listen to this. He averaged 15.8 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game, 7 assists per game, well over a steal, well over a block, and he only had 25 turnovers in that 10-game span. So you think, oh, that's about 2.5, right? Guess what? That is just about the average of Devontae Graham, Jalen Brunson, and Trey Young last year. If we take those three point guards that were on various All-America teams last year at season's end, Cody Martin's turnover rate during that 10-game span when he was responsible for most of the point guard duties was right in the ballpark. Not to mention that individual success transferred to some team success, which resulted in a regular season title, Mountain West Conference title, a magical Sweet 16 run that held two huge comeback wins versus Texas, which required an overtime effort absolutely on par with the the game at the pit against New Mexico, against Cincy, where they were down 20 in the second half and came back and won. And then the event lost to eventual Final Four darlings, Loyola Chicago, and if not for a deep three, that game might have been... There There would have been a conversation of Nevada maybe being that Cinderella that I mean, it made it to the Final Four. One of the co-authors of one of the most historic comebacks is back for his senior season. Out there uh, at Vasquez 777 is with us. We know that a whole bunch of other Nevada fans are, are, are right on board with us here. So what we thought we would do during this podcast is not only champion Cody Martin in our ode to Cody Martin. But we also wanted to bring up a couple of other players that we thought might be under the radar and might do some of the things that are pretty similar to what Cody pulled off last year, not only during his 10-game stretch as quasi-point guard, but also during the entire season where he hit that stat line, where that has not been, a, uh, not been a, uh, had, not, had not been reached in over 25 years. We're going to give you guys a few under-the-radar, mid-major guys that we think that you should pay attention to. 
that we think could be this year's Cody Martin, that could approach that stat line and maybe get close. You know, we talked about a couple of these guys on the Patreon podcast that we put out for our Patreon-only listeners. You listened to a podcast a few weeks back. We highlighted a number of lead guards and a couple of guards that we think were going to do big things, maybe surprise, and maybe catch your attention as a mid-major. On that Wings podcast, we talked about the, the infatuation of the NBA of uh, very, uh, you know versatile wings that can do multiple things, defend multiple positions, shoot the three, stretch the floor, handle the ball, low turnover rate. A couple of those guys we'll get into a tiny bit, but I thought we'd start with a couple of under-the-radar wings that could be this year's Cody Martin in our ode to Cody Martin podcast. How about Terry Taylor, Austin P, sophomore, about 6'5"-ish, average about 15.5 points, over 8.5 rebounds, shot it great from the field. I feel like he's very similar to the Anthony Lamb type where he's just like this bigger body that can do a number of things, whether it be in the post or out on the wing. And yes, he can shoot it from three, over 42% from three-point range for Taylor from Austin P. You love when you have these impactful players on these mid-majors. So when you're, you're tuning in to that, you know, br- quote-unquote, bracket buster game or that Friday night game, and you're like, oh, what can I pay attention to here? Taylor's one of those players that you can pay attention to. How about Eric Williams Jr., sophomore, 6'5", Duquesne. Really like what he does. He played over 33 minutes per game as a freshman. Averaged over 14 points, just about nine boards. Didn't shoot it that great from the field overall, lower than 40%, but he did shoot it 36% from three. So I think Eric Williams, with his ball handling capabilities and his willingness to mix it up in the paint down low, averaging almost nine boards a game, I think if you're tuning into Duquesne, you might be in for a treat if you find Eric Williams in your scorebook. And how about Jaleel Tripp? 6'5 sophomore, he's an NYC kid, so what, you know, East Coast kid, knows how to ball out, out in Pacific. He totally filled up the stat sheet exactly like Cody Martin. Almost 11 points per game, almost 8 boards per game, 4.5 assists per game, and he even thiefed it on the defensive end and was a uh, defensive stalwart on the wing averaging 1.5 steals per game. The coach trusted him. He played 35 minutes per game. So if you're looking for out west, who could be the next Cody Martin? Maybe maybe Trip from Pacific. Another uh, Cody Martin-type eligible player is John Conchar from Fort Wayne. 6'5-ish, do-everything guard. We talked about him on the podcast previously. Not going to give you his stats out, but I'll tell you right now, if Fort Wayne schedules like they've scheduled in the past and they have an opportunity against a major like they've had against Notre Dame or Indiana in the past, Conchar is going to fit right into that construct. And he's going to be one of those players that looks like he belongs on the floor with that high major team. He can do everything as a 6'5 wing. He can handle a little bit. He can shoot it. And I'll tell you what, he can defend the heck out of it as well. So he's super versatile. And if you have Fort Wayne on your schedule, I think he's going to be the lead in the scouting report, John Conchar, for sure. How about Justin Pierce from William & Mary? One of the things that William & Mary and the CAA has going on, they have Knight also, who's a big man who can shoot it a little bit from deep. But Pierce is interesting because he's 6'6", 205, sophomore, I mean, paired with Knight, that's one of the best mid-major duos that we have going this year, uh, going into the season. Averaged about 15 points, over eight boards, over two and a half assists, 
and he shot at 50% from the field, played over 30 minutes a game, and you know what? He can shoot it. He shot at almost 42% from three. So the fact that you have that inside-out situation with Pierce and Knight from William & Mary, I like them in the CAA, and I think if you're going to pay attention to a team in the CAA, I think William & Mary is one of those teams that has been knocking on the door forever. You know that I have an affinity for the CAA, and I'm kind of rooting for them, even though they're the arch-rival of the JMU Dukes. Another guy we might want to pay attention to here, I think, is Oscar Ferrer. 6'6", 190 from Grand Canyon. Now, Grand Canyon has a bunch of players. Marley's done a great job out there bringing in talent. Ferrer's another one of those guys. Almost 10 points a game, over five boards. 26 minutes a game. Shot it decent from the field, 48%. Can shoot it from deep, 37% from deep. Average over a steal per game. He's one of those players that might turn the tide and maybe take the crown from New Mexico State if Grand Canyon can keep playing the way that it did last year, super live. It made the Aggies think about it a little bit. I think Grand Canyon could be a little pivot point here as far as we're talking. How about Taiwan Pickford for UNI in the Valley? He's one of these guys that you love, uh, that's a kind of an undersized, maybe, num- maybe power forward-ish, but a wing that can do everything. Average about nine points and about eight boards per game. He's very uh, Jamario Jones, since we were mentioning New Mexico State. Remember, Jamario Jones led the nation in rebounding a season ago. as one of our favorite players here on the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. But I think Pitford from UNI falls right into that category. And I think he's going to be one of those players that finds his way onto like a first team or second team All-Valley. How about Mia Oni from Yale? Took me a little while to figure that out. He's going to be a junior, 6'6", 200 pounds. Scouting report is out on him. As a freshman, he shot it great from three, about 39% a uh, year before. Not so hot, only 31%. Uh, took a year off for a mission, is now returning. During that sophomore season, he averaged 15 points a game, six boards a game, and over three and a half assists a game. Didn't shoot it great, only 41% from the field, but paired with Brunner, Jordan Brunner, it seems like Yale might be back in business, and it might be one of those situations that we talked about earlier on the podcast where Yale has an opportunity to pull that upset against Baylor, much like every Ivy team does every year when they're underseeded and plays a power team that maybe is a little bit undersized and that skilled, well-coached Ivy team comes in and surprises. Oni is one of those players that I think is going to catch some NBA attention because he can shoot it, because he's versatile with the ball, and because he's a little bit more mature with that season off. Stick, let's stick in the ivy, right? Seth Towns, Harvard. We talked about Seth Towns a couple of times on the podcast before. He's an all-ivy wing, 6'7", when we talked to the ivy insiders from Harvard. You know who they mentioned? Yeah, they mentioned former Duke, current Celtic, blew up in the playoffs this year. Jason Tatum. And if you're going to compare Towns to Jason Tatum, man, that's quite a comparison. So I think Towns has to be on this list along with Oni. We talked, we mentioned him a little bit earlier, but how about Anthony Lamb from Vermont, right? I think Anthony Lamb is one of those players. He's an all-America East wing, 6'6", had a little injury trouble last year. Who knows? If the script goes a little different and that overtime game in the America East Finals goes a different way. Maybe it's Vermont pulling that 116 upset against UVA and Lamb getting all the, the kudos and, and NBA buzz and maybe he lead. Who knows? That sounds like a crazy script, but I don't think it's that nuts. 
So Lamb returns for Vermont. You love that the Catamounts bring back a, such a powerful player. I think he's the obvious choice for preseason player of the year. And then we don't want to forget the the major players. We, we talked about with Eric Fawcett, uh, Quandry Witherspoon, Mississippi State. He does a lot of the ball handling, can do a couple of those things that we talked about with Cody Martin. Jerry Foster, SMU. You know those SMU wings always are NBA ready and can do a number of different things on the wing, whether it be shoot it, handle the ball, pass the ball, they play the right way. Xavier Sneed, you know we love Xavier Sneed over here at at the Screen Screener College Basketball Podcast. He stepped up when Wade went down in the tournament for Kansas State. Charles Matthews in Michigan helped bring Michigan and the Wolverines to the final game, falling just short to the powerful Villanova last year in the title game. James Palmer Jr., Nebraska, Big Ten, Probably going to be all Big uh, Big Ten first team, at least in the race for leading the conference in scoring. DeAndre Hunter, one of the powerful wings that's going to get great NBA buzz and maybe one of the reasons why UMBC pulled that upset because he was injured during that game. Tyus Battle of Syracuse, 6'5", do everything guard wing, can handle the ball, can't shoot it as great, but he's definitely somebody to pay attention to. Of course, Jalen Hudson from Florida. You want to see if he can do a little bit more on the defensive end. And then I think some of the frosh to pay attention to as far as this is concerned. Uh, Keelan Johnson, Kentucky, Romeo Lankford, Indiana, Nazar Little, UNC, and of course, R.J. Barrett. Duke. Don't want to forget about Justin James, Wyoming, fellow MWC compatriot, 6'7", guard, do everything, average almost 19 points a game, 6 rebounds, over 3 assists. He's a career 36% 3-point shooter. He averages over a steal a game. Look, if we're going to go with two guys that could be this year's Cody Martin, then I think we have to go with James, and then I think we have to go to Malik Yarborough from Illinois State. I think James from Wyoming and Yarbrough from Illinois State. Yarbrough, the 6'6 senior, averaged 16 points a game, six and a half boards, almost five assists, and almost a steal and a block. I think Yarbrough might be the closest thing that we have to Cody Martin out there in college basketball landscape. He only played 28 minutes a game, and he shot at only 45% from the field. So if we're going to be nitpicky. But if we go back and look at Yarbrough's numbers at St. Louis... He did shoot at 35% from three all the way back then. So you want to see if he can recapture that accuracy from deep. So maybe he can't shoot it straight. So if we're going to end the podcast, the Ode to Cody Martin podcast, I think we have to end it with Justin James from Wyoming and Malik Yarborough of Illinois State. Go Redbird. I think that's a good jumping off point there. Just talk for two seconds about Duke and and Kentucky and the Blue Bloods that played for everybody to see their tour game. Uh, We had Duke go up to Canada. We had Kentucky go down to the Bahamas. A couple of takeaways. Here are my two takeaways for Kentucky. Number one, they shot it a little bit better. Looked like they could shoot it a little bit better than the teams in the past. I mean, they got spoiled a little bit with Monk, who could shoot it from outside. But besides that, they really haven't had like a super knockdown shooter or a team that could be consistent from the outside and stretch the floor with consistency. Seems like this team can do that a little bit, which is interesting. Number two, looks like they have multiple ball handlers. And I think if you have multiple ball handlers, whether it be Harrow, whether it be Higgins, whether it be Quade, Johnson can help out with that. I think if you have multiple ball handlers and decision makers and not just one or two, I think that helps with your overall success. So I think the increased shooting efficiency and maybe willingness to shoot it is going to help, but I also think the ball handling to go along with that shooting, I think 
is going to help Kentucky, and I wouldn't be surprised if this Kentucky team is in everybody's top one, two, or three. I think that makes sense. Two takeaways from Duke. Holy smokes, are they going to be fun to watch and athletic. Barrett looked like an absolute monster. He was all over the place doing just about everything you can ask your incoming freshman stud to do. And then we didn't even get to Zion Williamson yet. I mean, are you kidding me? This guy seems like an absolute athletic freak in the absolute best way possible. The thing that we want to pay attention to most is, are they going to allow him to just play basketball and not try to push him into a position? One of the problems that Duke ran into last year was with Bagley and Carter is they tried to push each one of them into a position that they weren't really comfortable playing. Bagley a little bit out on the wing, Carter a little bit down low. Whereas maybe both of them would have been a little bit more comfortable just playing in that intermediate game and working in that space. Neither one of them had the proper space to work in, and I think that's where they ran into a little trouble offensively and defensively for that matter. So it looked like that the Duke team could be a little bit like Nevada and maybe a little bit like Cody Martin. They could play a little bit positionless. They don't need to necessarily say, hey, you're going to play the one, you're going to play the two, you're going to play the four. They can just say, look, I'm going to handle the ball in this possession. I'm going to look for a mismatch, and then we're going to play off of that. It seems like that might be a great advantage for Duke if Coach K can let go of the reins a little bit and let those guys ball out. Another thing I noticed about Duke, and we talked about this on the podcast previously, are they going to be able to shoot it well enough from deep to make sure that they have the proper spacing for all of that talent to do what it needs to do in the half court when things get stagnant like they do in the tournament? Because we've seen pace slow down, we've seen possessions more valued, and we've seen how if you have a stud, somebody that can break everybody down, somebody that can control the offense, somebody that can get their own shot, on demand, less than 10 seconds ago on the shot clock, you got a big advantage there. You got a Carson Edwards that can do that, you're good. You got a uh, Keenan Evans that can do that, you're all set. You have a Jalen Brunson that can go down in the post or create off the dribble, you're good. But if you don't have the proper spacing, then everybody's going to, it's very predictable. It becomes very predictable. So you want to see if Duke can beat that predictability by putting enough shooters out to create some space, or at least doing something creative where they provide successful opportunities for those unbelievable athletes that they have on the wing. Barrett, Williamson, I mean, mean, Jones and Reddish didn't even play. I mean, those guys didn't even see the court, and they, they still looked amazing. Imagine when one of those, both of those guys are on the court helping run the show. I think it's even going to look more efficient and more impressive and more NBA-like. Man. So anyway, listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. Mike and I will hit you guys up next week, of course. We'll probably catch up with a couple of the the rule changes, a couple of items that were talked about for the March Madness selection situation, the change from the RPI to the net. Obviously, the net is an improvement. The RPI needed to go. It was very archaic. It was very dinosaurish, and they needed to move the needle in the right direction. This was a move in the right direction, but I also think it was answer to the clamoring of people on Twitter or whoever has a voice saying they need to get updated. So I think this isn't the answer, but I do think it's a good tweak. And I think if they're open to tweaking it later, I think that that's appropriate as well. And let's not forget the biggest thing with this selection situation with the NET or the net, whatever we decide to go on, is I hope that part of the equation, and the equation needs to be 
you know, public for the coaches to know so they know how to schedule and who they need to play and game strategies and so on and so on. But don't you think that wins and losses should still trump everything else? It's nice to have the advanced metrics. It's nice to know the predictability of things. It's nice to know the 10-point margins. But also, it should really come back to if you're going to rely on one thing that's a tiebreaker, like who beat who? How did they beat each other? How much did this team beat that team by? How did they match up against? And I think some of it may come back to eye test, which I think is okay. I don't think that's terrible. But I think if we have a step in the right direction as far as cleaning up and maybe modernizing the process, I think that's positive. I like the positive. So as long as they're willing to tweak the positive movement, I'm good with that. Listeners, just want to say uh, ahoy out there. Please enjoy your weekends. Please be safe. And we hope to catch up with you guys next week. If you haven't tuned in or looked into the Patreon podcast part, please visit Patreon. You can look up Screen the Screener. You can see our page there. That would be fantastic. Uh, You get a bunch of different levels. Uh, You can contribute at the smallest level, which is $1 per month, or you can contribute at the highest level. And if you do that, then we give you an extra podcast per week, private podcast, quote unquote. Please don't forget to give Mike a follow, at Randall Rant. He's insightful, entertaining, and even educational, and he is hot and heavy into fantasy football right now. If that's your thing and you're getting into your drafts, good luck on all your drafts. Please give the podcast a follow, at SDS Podcast on Twitter. If you'd like to get in touch with the show via email, SDSPodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to communicate with you that way. If you really like what you're listening to and you like the ode to Cody Martin and the breakdown that we gave you here, don't be afraid to hit up Apple iTunes or whatever your podcast consumption method is. And give us a nice review. Maybe give five stars. Maybe write something nice about Mike. Maybe write something nice about the podcast. That'd be fantastic. We'd love any kindness you're willing to spread. However, cheers. Ahoy. Grazie. Salasha. Salasha.